Let us now use a different approach to answer our original question as to why the laws of Parshas Mishpatim have to be said with the Koilo Yisuvrokim of Har Sinai in the background. We've already said one approach based on the Beis answer as to how a person is to avoid Loisachmoid with Yerashemaim, that the Koilois Uvrokim are for the enhancement of this Yerashemaim. But now let's go back to the Evan Ezra's basic approach and reanalyze it with a slightly different understanding. As we said in the beginning when we went through the Evan Ezra, the Evan Ezra asks the question how does a person control his emotions of Loisachmoid? So he says that basically Loisachmoid results from a person thinking that it's attainable and reachable, that it's possible. If a person were to realize that it's off limits and it's totally beyond his reach, he would not covet and desire that which is unobtainable. And this is the understanding that most people have in the Evan Ezra. In other words, that a person is supposed to view all things that HaKadosh Baruch Hu prohibits as it's off limits. It's beyond reach. And it's impossible, like poison, like walking off a cliff, in which case a person will not covet and desire it. We've already said that the Beis Alevi has a whole different approach. With a little bit of Yira, there is no Taiva. Now let's analyze the Evan Ezra in a slightly different, deeper understanding. And with this we will see that the, that the Beis Alevi's Teretz is inadequate in explaining the basic problem of Loisachmoid. And we have to come to a much deeper understanding of Loisachmoid in order, to, in order to explain that for a person to avoid the pitfalls of Loisachmoid, we must come on to the Evan Ezra, because the Beis Halevi's Pshat is inadequate. Why so? Let's, let's take a look at what Rav Moshe Feinstein says. Rav Moshe Feinstein, in his Sefer Kol Rom, as well as in his Drash Moshe, says along the following lines. He asks the question, the same question, as to what does it mean that Parshish Mishpatim was said in Har Sinai. We know that from the Pasuk, from Rashi, in the Pasuk of we already know that all the laws, all Tariq mitzvahs, and all their details are from Har Sinai. What does it mean that Parshish Mishpatim is from Har Sinai? He says like this, When we're saying over here that 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 Har Sinai was in the background of Parshas Mishpatim, we don't mean to merely state that Parshas Mishpatim and all of its laws and minutia were given at Har Sinai. Of course they were given at Har Sinai. What do we mean that there was Kailos of Rakim in the background? It means that there is a special quality to Parshas Mishpatim. In other words, that all that is stated in Parshas Mishpatim, certainly what it begins with, is in effect on the same level in terms of its importance as the Aseris Hadibris. What does that mean? When one talks about the Aseris Hadibris, what are we talking about? We're not merely talking about Tariag Mitzvahs. Rishonim have already explained to us that all Tariyag mitzvahs can be learned out from the Aseris Hadibris. And they actually go to demonstrate how this is so. In other words, the Aseris Hadibris are more than just from the Tariyag mitzvahs. They're more than just 14 or so of the Tariyag mitzvahs. 
In the words of the Aser Sadibris themselves are contained the shrushim, the roots by which we could derive the, the branches that are the tree of the Tayag Mitzvahs. The Aser Sadibris are shrushim. In other words, they are the Ikrim. They are the Ikr. They are the fundamentals. In a deeper sense, in a philosophical sense as well, the Aser Sadibris are the Ikrim of the Torah. What do we mean by the Ikrim? We mean the 13 principles of faith of the Rambam. The Yud Gimel Ikrim of the Rambam, which are the nature of God, the belief in God, belief in Hashgachas Hashem, belief in God's knowledge, belief in Nevuah, belief in the Torah, reward and punishment. These are all contained in the Aseris HaDibris. The Aseris HaDibris contain the fundamental principles of Yiddishkeit, what we would refer to as the dogma or the creed of Klal Yisrael. They're contained in the Aseris HaDibris. For that reason, the Aseris HaDibris were actually recited daily in the base of Mikdash, until Chazal saw that the Tzedukim were using that as a way of destroying the rest of the Torah by saying that the Torah didn't really come from Hashem, other than the Aseris HaDibris. But the Aseris HaDibris represent the Yud Gimel Ikrim. That's the idea when we say that the Aseris HaDibris are the Ikrim. The Aseris HaDibris represent the fundamentals, the Ikrei Amuna. They represent the fundamental principles of Jewish belief. So we're dealing here with matters of faith and belief. Not merely with mitzvahs, not merely with action-oriented mitzvahs. We're talking about actual principles and fundamentals in Yiddishkeit, Ikrim. Cesar of Moshe, a person that violates Mishpatim. What is Mishpatim? Mishpatim are all the laws, as we've said already, from the Ramban and the Sforno. These are the ways of defining the parameters of monetary possession in order that you should know how to avoid and what to avoid in order to fulfill Loisachmoid. Mishpatim starts off with Loisachmoid as its underlying theme. But it tells you how to fulfill that leisachmoid. It tells you what is yours and what isn't yours, what you have a right to covet and what you don't. And therefore it has to tell you Dine Mominus. Cesar of Moshe, Those people that are lax in monetary matters, it's more than just a taiva. You are thereby denying the Hashgachas Hashem, Divine Providence, how HaKadosh Baruch Hu deals and takes care of each individual. Because If you truly believe that God is the provider, and that God sustains, and that God grants you that which you're entitled to, and without God's decree, or without God's help, it would be impossible for a person to obtain anything. If a person truly believes that, he would never attempt to dishonestly take that which he's not entitled to take. The desire for somebody else's property, which is at the root of Loisachmoid, and we're not talking merely here about the idea of Loisachmoid, the physical desire. We're talking about the coveting of Eishas Reyecha. That coveting is that you're attempting to obtain it. We're not talking about don't commit adultery. That's Loisinov. Loisinov already says don't commit adultery with your neighbor's wife. Loisinov tells you don't commit adultery. So what does Losachmo tell you? Losachmo is not an anti-adultery law. It's a law that tells you don't think 
that which is not yours is somehow obtainable and, and that it's legally or somehow you could finagle it away from them. Don't do that. As we explained in the very beginning, Loisachmoid requires more than just merely, it's not just a physical desire, it's the fact that a person is devising schemes by, and strategies by which to, to obtain that which is somebody else's. Don't covet in order to obtain that which belongs to somebody else. This kind of coveting, especially in monetary matters, it's only because a person feels that it's obtainable and he could take that which is not his as if to say that either he doesn't believe in Hashgacha or he feels that he could subvert or override Hashgacha or he feels that God does not deal just uh, in a just manner with mankind feels that it's not equitable the way God distributes wealth. He feels it's unfair, that God is unfair. This is a different kind of taiva than, than taiva's arayas. Yetzer arayas with dover tivi. Yetzer arayas is a dover tivi. In fact, the, the um, Rishonim, Chachmei HaMelcher, explain three kinds of desire that human beings have. There is an avas ha'orev, or a taiva for that which is sweet, that which is pleasurable. That's a natural, physical desire. That we share in common with all animals. All animals have the same kind of physical lusts and desires that we have. Everybody desires that which the body needs, and that which the body feels as pleasure. That which is pleasurable, we all desire. We meaning animals and humans. We all have the common desire when it comes to areas of lust and physical pleasure. So that we share with animals. Then there is a higher degree of taiva. A taiva, an ava for, for that which is moil, for the means. This, of course, is in the area of money, power, control. These are means to the end. These are means to procure ends. Now some people will think that the desire for money is very similar to the desire for the pleasure. Because you want money in order to get more pleasure. But that's not really so. Because if you look at the nature of mankind, you'll see that, that there are many people, certainly a great deal of people, that money has become an end in itself. They'll go to age 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 and beyond to amass wealth. For what? In order to have pleasure? If that's the case, then they would stop at a point and say, hey, I'm already at the stage of life that I better start spending it or I'm not going to have enough years left to enjoy the money that I have. No, power, prestige, and money is a desire unto itself. It's a uniquely human desire. Animals don't have this. Animals don't have a desire for the moil, for the means, for money, to amass wealth. They only have a desire for, for physical pleasure. We also have that. But in addition to our desire for physical pleasure, we have a desire for this, for, to amass wealth, to amass power, prestige, wealth. This is uniquely human, and it has turned into an end in itself, and a drive in of itself. There's a third level that's called Avas Hatoiv, love of something that, for, that is good, that's an altruistic love, simply because it's right and good and true, you desire it, and you love to do it. In any case, the Yetzer for Momon does not stem from the same source as the Yetzer for Arias. It stems from a uniquely human one, and this gets to the area of faith and belief. 
this already deals no longer with the question of a physical desire. This deals with the question of how does one view the world? Does one view the distribution of wealth the way God decrees it as being equitable and just? Or does one feel that it's unfair and unjust and inequitable? Or perhaps he doesn't even think about it. And he thinks in terms of, if I could obtain it, I will do so. In spite of God, or God doesn't know, or God doesn't care, or God doesn't see. In other words, there's a denial of faith over here. When a person is mezalzal and momentous, we're dealing with a problem of faith and belief. That's what we mean, Yud Gimel Ikrim. That's what we mean, Aseris Hadibris. We're dealing with fundamentals, with principles of faith. A person in violation of Loisachmaid is in violation of Kfira. Not of Taiva, but of Kfira. And this has to be dealt with much differently than, the, than dealing with Taiva. Taiva is dealt with one way. Belief is dealt with in another way. For that reason, the, the Beis HaLevi's terrorist is inadequate. Because the Beis HaLevi just tells you how to deal with physical desire. Physical desire can be dealt with Yira. Yira and Taiva, as we said, do not coexist. Lust and fear do not coexist in the person's mind at the same time. If you're slipping on the ice, your physical desire has left you. But the ingrained problem of kfira, of lack of faith, of lack of belief, of denial of hashgacha, that's a problem that Yira cannot dissolve. That's a much more basic problem. That's a problem of kfira. You could trip on the ice and lose your physical desire to get someone's wealth. But why are you running to begin with? Why are you running across the frozen lake to steal someone else's property when you have no right to it? The fact that you're doing it shows that there's a lack of faith, a lack of belief. Tripping on the ice and having the year drive out the taiva doesn't solve that. It solves the desire. You see a beautiful woman on the other side and you're running after her because you have a physical desire and a lust and you trip on the ice, dissolve, it melts, your Yetzir horror melts away. But when you're trying to obtain that which isn't yours because you have a problem of faith and you don't feel that God distributed wealth or people or whatever equitably and then you're running across the ice to try to obtain that goal, that which you covet, and you trip on the ice and you lose your desire and you lose your physical lust. But why are you running? Where are you going? What right do you have to even attempt to obtain it? That's not a problem which we solve by you tripping on the ice because you still lack that faith. You still have a problem of kfira and that hasn't been addressed yet. Says Rav Moshe, how does one deal with the Dovor Tivi, the Yetzer of Arias? That the Beis is right. The Torah answers it. The person is not necessarily denying faith, but like every other human being, he has physical desire. That when a person runs across the lake to take something which is forbidden to him because he desires it physically, doesn't show us a lack of faith and belief. It's not a problem of kfira. It's a problem of taima. You are a maimon, you believe in God, and like the story that we said, the story of the story of Rav Amram Chasida. Rav Amram Chasida was obviously a believer in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's the Gemara Kedushin of Peyalov. He had the captives in his home. And he was a chosid, he was a tzaddik. He was a very pious person. Nevertheless, one time when, when he saw this beautiful uh, captive, 
a tremendous time of season, a tremendous Yetzirah, and he attempted to go to her. At this point, he's climbing the ladder. He's in, he has a lust, he has desire. Does he lack faith? He doesn't believe in God, he doesn't believe in Hashgacha's Hashem. He believes in God, he believes in Hashgacha, he believes in the Yudgim Malikrim. But he's human, and a human being is part animal, and the part of him which is animal desires, and has tithes, and has lusts, and then has to be conquered and overcome. And it's overcome and conquered with Yerashimayim. That's how it's overcome. But there's no problem of faith, there's no problem of belief. That's not the problem. The Beis Halevi only addresses the Yetzir Horror issue. He doesn't address the Kfira issue. The Evan Ezra is attempting to address the Kfira issue. And that's a much deeper and a much more and, and a much more severe and a much more serious problem. Because now we're dealing with a matter of belief in Hashem. Says Rav Moshe, Yetzir Arayis is a Dover Tivi and therefore every human being has it. But since the Torah answers it, a person has to overcome it. It is a teva. And a person does feel it. But the Yerash Shemaim has to somehow overcome it. A person cannot say, I was born that way. Of course you were born that way. Everybody's born with tithes. The homosexual that says, I was born with these feelings, it doesn't make a difference. So you were born with it. The Torah forbids it. You have to overcome it. Everybody is born with tithes. Everybody has an animal inside of him. And that animal lusts and yearns to do that which is forbidden. The Torah answers it and you have to overcome it somehow. How? They said, well, you already said how. With your Shemaim. That's how you overcome it. So therefore a person can't say, I was born that way. Of course you were born that way. So what? I mean, it doesn't mean that you were born that way. But even if it's true, that's not an excuse. As a human being, unless you're certifiably insane, unless you're a shaitu who's potter mikola mitzvahs, if you're sane and rational, you have to control yourself and overcome your tithes. You can't claim I was born a serial killer. Doesn't matter if you were. Doesn't matter if you were born under Mazal Madim, as the Gemara says in Shabbos, that you're born under the star of Madim and therefore you may turn into a murderer. Control it. Become a mile. Become a shaykhid. Do something else. It's up to you to control your, your physical desires. The fact that you have a bloodlust doesn't mean that you have to have an outlet in murder. Doesn't mean that you have to become a serial killer. You can become a surgeon. Become a doctor, a surgeon. And this way you won't be squeamish. Unlike some people that are squeamish and can't be surgeons. You're able to do surgery. You could do something beneficial for mankind. You don't like that? Become a veterinarian. Become a shaykh, a slaughterer of animals. You could control it. Unless you're insane. There is no excuse. It has nothing to do with faith. It has nothing to do with belief. It has to do with taiva. And taiva must be overcome and controlled. And it's overcome and controlled with Yerushimayim, with the Torah. And therefore there is no excuse. That's what the Beis HaLevi addresses. But Zilzul in Inyonei Momenus. That's a whole different story over here. When it comes to Taiva, you could be misgaber over your Teva with your Hashemayim. But there's no problem of faith. There's no problem of belief. There's no problem of Kfira. There's no problem of lack of Emunah. But Taiva's Hamamon does not come from a Taiva Tivis. The Taiva for money does not come from a natural physical lust and desire. As we said earlier, this is unique to human beings. 
It comes from your your thoughts that it's achievable, it's obtainable. Therefore, you attempt to obtain it. Therefore, you desire that which you have no right to. The whole reason why you have the taifa, the fact that you're running across the ice to take that which doesn't belong to you, that comes from a chayser emuna, lack of faith. That's a kfira problem. And therefore, slipping on the ice doesn't help. Even if you're able to overcome your yetzer or your physical lust because you're afraid of punishment, you're slipping on the ice. But so what? Why are you running? Slipping on the ice is only going to help you overcome your physical lust. You're still lacking faith because you're showing that by the fact that you're attempting to achieve it. Because if you have faith in Hashem, you would, if you feel that God is dealing justly with the world and that there's a fair distribution of wealth the way God so determines it, you wouldn't have the time to start with. Violation of Dine Mominus is a violation of the Aseris Hadibris. What do we mean by Aseris Hadibris? We mean what the Aseris Hadibris represents, which is the Ikre Emuna, the Ikre Bitochen, Emuna Bitochen in Hashgoches Hashem. That's what we talk, mean when we talk about Aseris Hadibris. Because the Aseris Hadibris demonstrate to us that HaKadosh Baruch who created the world and is a Mashgiach on the world, that is Hashgochen. And therefore, Zilzul, a, per, a laxity in monetary matters is a serious problem because it deals with kfir or with faith. Now we've answered the question. What do we mean that there's Aseris Hadibris in the background of Parshas Mishpatim? The Aseris Hadibris in the background of Parshas Mishpatim are the, uh, the rather the Kailos of Rakim in the background of Parshas Mishpatim are to, in a way, equate that which is in Parshas Mishpatim with the Ikre Amuna, which the Aseris Hadibris represents. Which one is that? Because as we said from this forward on the Ramban, Eila Mishpotim deals with Losachmoid. And that goes to the heart of what the Aseris Hadibris represents, which is faith, belief, Amuna, and Kfira. So we have an interesting thing here. We have a kind of a circle, if you will. The Ebenezer explains how all mitzvahs can be divided into three parts. Mitzvahs that are in the lave, mitzvahs that are in the mind, and the heart of man, mitzvahs that are verbal, that require the power of speech, and mitzvahs that are action-oriented, which is the majority of mitzvahs. And of course, these three could also be subdivided into two, positive and negative. It's the same, it's losasa. In a sense, one could say that the Aser Sadibris begins with the most noble and highest of them, which is a mitzvah of the mind, and it's a positive one. A positive mitzvah that deals with the mind. Next mitzvah is a step lower. That's negative, but it's also centered centrally in the mind. Don't believe in Avodazar. Negative, but it's still in the mind. Then comes the mitzvah of Shua Shov. Not to swear falsely, that's, in the, that's with the mouth, that's with speech. Then comes the laws of Shabbos, Zohar Yom HaShabbos, 
which is also verbal. It's Kiddush. It's the recitation of Kiddush. That's of a positive command. But then there's Losasa called Malacha, not to do any Malacha. That's already action-oriented. Kabbalah likewise. When we go to the second set of Luchos, we have the reverse. Losirtzach, Losinov, Losignov are all action-oriented, negative. Losanov, Recha, Shoker. That's likewise, that's likewise a negative, but that's already in the area of speech, not to bear false witness. Then you have Losach mode, which is centered in the mind. So we reverse it. Possibly, an explanation of this is the following. The first Luach of the Luchos represents between man and God. In the areas between man and God, over there, we say primarily the main goal is the mind. After all, if a person doesn't believe in God, then all the other mitzvahs are worthless. When it comes to inyone bein adam lemokum, mitzvahs between man and Hakadosh Baruch Hu, acts of worship, acts of worship without the underlying faith are meaningless. To put on tefillin, to put on tzitzis, to put up a mezuzah when you don't believe in God, doesn't mean anything. Therefore, the first step, the first basis, the first basic principle is anochesem alakecha. That's the underlying basis of all bein adam lemokum. You must have that, and that's the most noble of the goals. So it begins with the most noble. And then it works its way down. When it comes to Bein Adam L'chavero, between man and fellow man, over there we begin the other way. We begin with behavior. Even Hill, that which you find is tasteful, don't do to somebody else. In other words, we're trying to legislate behavior rather than the more esoteric and noble The first step is don't harm other people. That's the first step. We legislate behavior. The main thing is to legislate behavior, legislate destructive behavior. Don't harm others. Action. Then comes speech, and then comes thought. So we reverse the process. But now what we see is that we're really going full circle. It turns into a whole circle. We go from Anoichi down to Loiya, down to Losisa, down to Shabbos. And then we reverse it in the other luach, lositzach, losinov, losignov, which is action. We go up to losana, back up to losachmod, losachmod, and anochi Hashem alokecha are in a sense on par. But now what we see is much deeper than that. Anochi and losachmod are almost identical. Because losachmod is a violation of anochi. A person who covets shows he's not believing in the anochi Hashem alokecha, which is hashgochas Hashem, as we pointed out many times. Doesn't say, I am the Lord God, creator of heaven and earth. Doesn't say, It says, I am the God of Hashgoches Hashem, who rewards the Tzadikim, punishes the Rishoim, punished the Egyptians, rewarded the Jews, took the wealth of the Egyptians, gave it to the Jews. That's, Therefore, don't covet, because if you covet, you're showing a lack of faith in the Anochi. So, Losachmo goes full circle back to the Nochi Hashem Alokecho. Losachmo goes back full circle to the principles of faith, of what faith? Of Anochi Hashem Alokecho Hashem Alokecho. Belief in God, God of Hashgocha Protest. Losachmo goes back to the basic. It goes back to the basic principle of faith, which is believe in, belief in the God of Hashgochas Hashem. That's Losachmo. Says the Ramban in the Sephora, Pashas Mishpatim is Losachmo. It tells you the perimeters of Mominus. 
of what's yours and what's not yours and what you have a right to and what you don't have a right to. Ooh, that's very important now. Because that's how a person keeps the losachmoid. That's faith. That's kfira. That's amuna. That's bitachon that we're talking about here. We're not merely talking about taiva. We're not talking about physical lust, physical desire. We're talking about emunas Hashem. Bitachon in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Belief in Hashgachas Hashem. Kfir in what the Torah and in, in the Aser Sadibris. That's why you have the Kailos of Rokim in the background. The Kailos of Rokim are to represent that Parshas Mishpatim deals with fundamentals of faith. Fundamentals of Aser Sadibris, of belief, of Emunah, Bitachon, and its counter, which is Kfir. That's what we're dealing with over here. So therefore, it's important to have Sinai in the background. Because the Sinai noises in the background, the Shoifer and the Kailus of Rokim, are in order to tell you that when a person is violating the Mishpatim, it's much deeper than just merely a violation of a mitzvah. It's a violation of faith. It's a violation of Har Sinai quaking. It's a violation of what we saw in Har Sinai, which is, which is Emunas Hashem, which is Bitochen in HaKadosh Baruch belief in Hashgachas Hashem. When you violate Mishpatim, you're violating the Yud Gimel Ikrim. You're violating the concept of Aser Sadibris. You're violating the, what the, the, the common denominator of all Aser Sadibris are about, which is Amun and Hashem. You're violating the principle and the Iker known as Aser Sadibris. You're violating the Yud Gimel Ikrim of the Rambam and what they represent. Amun and Hashgochas Hashem. That's what Zilzul Momenus is. That's why the Beis Halevi's Teretz is insufficient for Los Achmoid. Because the Ebenezer's question was, how does a person avoid Los Achmoid? How do you avoid Los Achmoid? And the answer isn't merely Yerushimayim, because Los Achmoid goes to the heart of Jewish faith, which is belief in Hashgacha. And Yerushimayim is insufficient for that. Now when one views the last half of the Ebenezer, one sees that this is exactly what the Ebenezer is talking about. He's talking about faith. He's talking about belief. He says like this, the first half is the way everybody understands the Ebenezer, which is to realize that all mitzvah Hashem are off limits, off bounds. But the second half already gets to this point. Everybody has to realize the following. Whether it's money, whether it's a beautiful woman, it doesn't come to you from your own chokhmah and das, through your own endeavors. Only that which HaKadosh Baruch portions. He's not talking now about the taiva, the physical lust and the physical desire, but rather the belief that it's obtainable, the belief that I could get it, that God is not the one in charge and I'm in charge. Says the Ebenezer, no, we have to realize it doesn't come from you. It's a question of emunah and bitachon we're talking about here. We're talking about hashgacha. As he brings down the pasuk in Kaihelas, Lodam Shloi Omal Boy Yitnenu Chalkai, Vamur Chachom Bni Chaim Zayin Lavizchus Talion Nos Elo B'Mazla. This, of course, is the Evan Ezra believes in this very strongly about the concept of of Mazel, as indicated by the Gemara and Boykot Nafchofches. Ubavur Zeh Maskelo Yisavu Lo Yachmoid. If you're truly enlightened and wise, you will not covet and desire what's unobtainable. It's out of bounds, it's out of reach. But the conclusion is the next half. You'll be happy with your portion. 
won't even enter your heart to desire. But we're dealing with faith. Because you realize God didn't want to give it to you. So what? This is not meant to be. With all your strategies and all your devised schemes, you won't get it, no matter how devious you are. You should have faith in Hashem that He will provide and support and do what is right. Says the Ebenezer, now that we see the Ebenezer in a much deeper, profound light, the Ebenezer isn't merely just saying that mitzvahs of Hashem tell us that it's off limits and it's off bounds and we should see it like poison, like there's a big, this is hazardous to your health sign on it, a skull crossbones on it, that it's poison. It's much more than that. When it comes to Chemdas Hamom and especially Loisach we're talking about areas of faith that a person has to be sameach, bechalko, and realize that what HaKadosh Baruch Hu provide for me is mine, and what somebody else's is somebody else's, and I can't touch his, he can't touch mine, and that's it. And Munan Bitochen is what we're talking about over here. And then you won't covet, then you'll be happy with what you have. It goes hand in hand. You won't covet his, and you'll be happy with what you have. You won't desire and attempt to take that which is somebody else's, because you'll realize it's, it's unobtainable, and you will be happy with what you have. You'll be sameach b'chalka with what you have. We're talking about principles of faith over here. And that's what the Pasha begins with. The Pasha begins with Evid Ivri. The Pasha begins with the laws that a person does not have the right to control someone else's body and someone else's destiny to the degree that he may desire. You can't covet him beyond a certain, beyond a certain point. He could, you could control him for six years. He's your laborer. He's your worker. For six years, you could exercise a certain degree of control, only a certain degree. But beyond that, you have no control. He's free. You have no right to desire him. You have no right to covet beyond a certain point. You don't control him. The Jews belong to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They're to devote themselves to avoid this Hashem. And they're not supposed to be slaves to others. And you, as a human being, have no right controlling the fellow Jew as well. Don't covet, don't desire to control more than what HaKadosh Baruch Hu grants because we are all servants to Hashem. That's what Yitzhiya Mitzrayim shows us. For that reason, we find that at the very, very first Chania, upon coming out of Mitzrayim at Mora, they were given Shabbos. Dorach HaShulchan tells us in his Hagdoma, in the beginning of Hilcha Shabbos, he mentions this fact as well, how Shabbos is so important, a theme that B'nai Yisrael, the first encampment, as soon as they came out of Mitzrayim. The whole process of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, of course, took a week. Because it wasn't until Kriyas Yamsuf that they were finally liberated from the Egyptians when the Egyptians died in the Yamsuf. Then for the next three days, they traveled through the desert. They finally encamped at Mora, at which time the Mon came to them. By the Mon, right away, Hashem gave them Shabbos. Even before Kabbalah Satara, they were already given Shabbos. They were already given the mitzvah of Shabbos, even before they came to Har Sinai. That means immediately after Yitzhak Mitzrayim, because we know Shabbos, besides being Zeichel L'masa Bereshis, is also Zeichel Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Yitzhak Mitzrayim represents Hashgachas Hashem. It also represents the Jews' purpose in terms of serving Hashem, and that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the master, and we have to trust Hashem for our Parnasa. So immediately, the first time the Jews are given the Parnasa of Mon, Hashem already gives them the lesson of Shabbos. 
Six days there's going to be money. On the sixth day there's twice as much. On the seventh day you don't go out and collect any money. Have faith in Hashem for Parnassah. So Shabbos is immediately given to the Jewish people. Right away. Because it's the immediate lesson of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Right after Yitzhak Mitzrayim. It's the first lesson of Zeichel Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Of Hashgachas Hashem. So therefore, as soon as they came out of Mitzrayim at the very first encampment, they're commanded with the laws of Shabbos and what Shabbos represents. It not only represents my Berisha's creation, it also represents Anochi Hashem Hashem It represents Hashgachas Hashem. Have faith in your Parnassim. Parnassim is Adam. Question Parnassim is Adam. Kriyas Yamsuf. It's as difficult. And therefore, right after Kriyas Yamsuf, we have the laws of Shabbos which deal with Parnassim. We therefore have as well in the Aseris Hadibris, right after the first fundamentals are mentioned, which is Next mitzvah Shabbos, because Shabbos represents a demonstration, an active demonstration of the person's faith in Hashgachas Hashem that Hashem will provide, and that Hashem will control and take care of you, and that you have faith in the Parnos from Hashem, which is, as we said, the theme of Los Achmod as well. We therefore have the Eilah Mishpatim, and as we're now explaining, the theme of Parshas Mishpatim is Loisachmoit, which goes back to And here again we have another Shabbos like mitzvah, which is the same way there's Sheshas Yomim Tavoid, Sheshanim Tavoid, Sheshanim Yavod. Six days you work, six days someone work, six years someone works for you, and you let him go on the seventh. Also Shabbos like theme. We also have, as we said earlier, laws of Shemitah. And here again we could draw the same kind of connection, the same kind of analogy, that we find the fundamentals of faith and Har Sinai going hand in hand. And Shabbos is also a common denominator. Different kinds of Shabbos. There's the Shabbos of a personal nature in terms of the work week that you work for six days, you rest on the seventh to show that you have faith that HaKadosh Baruch Hu provides you with your Parnassah. That's the personal Shabbos. Then you have Shabbos of the land. And Shabbos of the land is Shemitah. Where you say that I believe Lashem Ha'or, it's in law. The land belongs to Hashem and He gave us the land of Israel because it comes from Him and it's in order to serve Him and we have to have faith in Him. So you have Shabbos of the land. And like the Mon, six years you work, on the sixth year, there's a double portion, a triple portion. Just like the Mon, on the sixth day, there's a double portion. The seventh day, we don't search for Mon. Mon was Lechem Min HaShemayim. And likewise, the seventh year, we don't work the land of Israel. The Lechem Min Haaretz. Because the Lechem Min Haaretz of Eretz Yisrael and the Lechem Min HaShemayim of the Mon are very similar. They're both heavenly foods. It comes from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We have to demonstrate our faith that Eretz Yisrael comes from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that He gives us the land as a gift. For that reason, if you don't keep Shemitah, it says in Parshat Buchu Kosai, the punishment is exile from the land. You're not worthy of it. The land was given to you precisely that you should keep it and have faith in HaKadosh Baruch Hu and, and demonstrate your faith in Hashem as the provider for the land. Therefore, if you don't do that, you lose your title to the land. Likewise, we find in the Haftar and Parshas Mishpatim that if you don't set your slaves free in the sixth year, HaKadosh Baruch is going to send you to exile. After all, we came out of Mitzrayim. We were freed from slavery in Egypt. 
and we were given certain mitzvahs that command us how to deal with other human beings in terms of their slavery and their enslavement. They have to be set free. And if you don't keep those laws, then you have no right to your freedom. And you're going to go back into slavery, into exile. You're going to lose your freedom. Hashem gave you freedom to practice it properly. And if not, you lose your rights to that freedom. And you go back into exile, to slavery. You lose your land if you don't keep Shemitah. You lose your freedom if you don't keep laws of slavery properly. And you lose your Parnassah. Shabbos. So these are all demonstrations of faith in HaKadosh Baruch That's what Losachmoid is. Don't desire, don't covet. Losachmoid Beis Reyecha. Losachmoid Eishas Reyecha. Losachmoid Shoy Roy Vachamor Vachoshel Reyecha. Because if you are chaymed that, you're in violation of Anoichi Hashem Elokecha Shehotesicho Meretz Mitzrayim. It's a violation of faith. So we have to have the Koyloi Suvrokim in the background of Parshish Mishpatim to tell us that these laws are not just a violation of a Yetzir Horror and a Taiva. It's a violation of a Munah and Bitochem. It's Kfir that we're dealing with here. That's what the Evan Ezra tells us. And if you have the right Amunah and Bitochem, you won't have the problem of Loisachmoid. You won't run across the lake and you won't have to slip. And you'll be a Sameach Bechelkayim. You'll actually be happy with your lot because you have faith. Interesting story with the Evan Ezra. The Evan Ezra Taka fulfilled this mitzvah. The Evan Ezra was notoriously poor. Very poor person. He attributed it to his bad mazel. He therefore said if he'd go to the candle making business, the sun would never set. If he'd go to the shroud making business, people would stop dying. He was very poor. He had a fabulously wealthy father-in-law, Rebuda Levi. Rebuda Levi was his father-in-law, and Rebuda Levi had money. But the Evan Ezra did not take from his father-in-law any money. Because he believed, like we just said over here, you have to be Sameach B'chalka with what you have and be happy with it. He didn't want no handouts from Rabbi Yudah Levi. Rabbi Yudah Levi, on the other hand, knew that the Ebenezer's pride would not permit him to take money from him. So he tried to devise a scheme by which to enrich him that the Ebenezer should feel that it's coming from God. So what did he do? He invited him for a meal with his daughter one day and he told his wife, let's go out and on the path that they're going to leave that when they exit will bury or put there a sack of gold that he'll stumble over, that he'll find, that he'll see, and he'll attribute it to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, giving it to him. And this way he won't think it's coming from us. They did that. They invited him for the meal. Afterwards, they run up to the attic to watch what's going to happen. Avnezra and his wife walk out. And as they're walking, Avnezra turns to his wife suddenly and says, how lucky we are that we're not blind. How lucky we are that we have our eyesight. What about people that are blind and can't see anything? Can you imagine what life is like? So he says, let's close our eyes and grope around the way blind people do, just to appreciate our eyesight. So they did that. And as they were doing that and walking blindly with their eyes shut, they passed by the area where the sack of gold lay, after which they opened their eyes and they resumed strolling. At that point, Rabbi Levi saw Taki, he's right. He was not fated, he was not meant by Hashem to have, to have the wealth. That's why he doesn't have it. But Evan Ezra with this story tells us a much more profound lesson. He tells us that he was actually rich. He didn't need that sack of gold. Taka how wealthy we are that we have our eyesight. How much would people give to regain their eyesight? How many millions would people give to regain eyesight? How many millions would people give to regain their health? To regain their feelings? If they're in pain, they should not have pain. To regain their minds. Rahman al-Islam, people that have 
that have lost it to either Alzheimer's or to whatever. How lucky we are, how wealthy we are, that we are of sound mind and sound body, that we have eyesight, that we could see, that we could hear, that we could feel, how happy we should be. Because we are multi-millionaires, because people would spend millions to regain eyesight, to regain, to regain hearing, to regain the ability to walk. Rahman al-Islam, people with strokes and heart attacks, how many millions would they spend in therapy to just regain partial, partial usage of their, of their limbs to be able to walk, their eyes, their mouths to be able to talk. How lucky we are, how happy we are, how, much, how wealthy we are. Not just how lucky and healthy, but how wealthy we are. We should therefore be happy. So because we are truly millionaires. The Avnezer passed by the sack of gold because he was a millionaire. He didn't need the sack of gold. He had his eyesight. He had his eyesight. And he was saying to himself, how many millions is this eyesight worth? And he closed his eyes to feel it, to appreciate it. He then opened his eyes and he appreciated what it means to be able to see. He doesn't need that sack of gold. He doesn't need that sack of gold to make him happy. He doesn't need a sack of gold to make him wealthy. He has his eyesight, which makes him happy. He has his eyesight, which makes him wealthy. Because it's worth millions. That's Pshat Sameach B'chalkai. Lo If you believe that, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu provides you with what you deserve, then you're a millionaire. You're Sameach B'chalkai. And then there's no problem of Lo Because if you're wealthy, if you're happy, if you are wealthy and you're a millionaire, you're not going to covet someone else's. Only unhappy, depressed people covet other people's property. Says the Ebenezer, the cure for Losachmoid is happiness. The cure for Losachmoid is to appreciate how wealthy we are and how happy we should therefore be. The cure for Losachmoid is to be happy. To be a Sameach B'chelkai. To appreciate that we are all multi-millionaires. And then there's Losachmoid. We won't covet anybody else's petty things. Because it's, it's petty, it's garnished, it's worthless compared to what we do have. Because God provides us with what we have. We're happy with what we have. We're happy with the wealth that we have. That's the cure for Loisachmoid. It goes much deeper than the base Halevi's Yiras Ha'oinish or Yerashamayim. It goes to Amuna to be talking to happiness. The truth is, if you have the Avas Hashem of Navramo Vinu, together with the Yiras Haroimimus, then already it comes together with the Beis Halevi, Ziras Ha'inish anyway, and we still don't have the problem of Loi Sachmoy. So it really does come together. But Loi Sachmoy goes back to Loi Hashem Elokecha. That's what the Evan Ezra is telling us over That's what Ramosh is telling us. That's the cure to Loi Sachmoy, and that answers the Kasha as to why there's Kailu Suvrakim in Parshas Mishpatim. Because Parshas Mishpatim deals with fundamentals of faith. Loi Sachmoy, Momoy, Taivis Momoy goes back to Kvira. And therefore, there's Kailus of Rokim telling you that we're dealing with issues of Kfira, of Amunah and Bitochen, not just with Taiva. In a similar vein, the Nitziv is explained in Parshas Kiseitze. At the end of Parshas Kiseitze, by Bochem Samolek explains in the Nitziv, in Hamik Dovor, why do we find the um, Rashi brings down over there, the, the Medrash Tanchumu that says, Im Shokarto Bemidois Havidoi Migiru Yo'oyev that as a result of the sin of being dishonest with weights and with measures, the enemy, namely Amalek, is going to come. In other words, Amalek comes as a result of the sin of false weights and false measures. What's Pshat? So he explains based on the Gemara 
in Bava Basra at the end of Perak Hamaychur Sasfina that says that the Ovoin of Mishkolois is Chomor, is worse, is more severe than Giloy Arayas. Explains in the Tziv, how is it possible to say that the Ovoin of Mishkolois of false weight, which seemingly is part of the larger Avera of Geneva, how could that be worse than other kinds of Geneva? Why do we consider it worse than other forms of theft and stealing? To the point of where we're saying that it's worse than Gilur Arias. Also, what then is the connection between the sin of false weights and Gilur Arias that one could even make a kind of comparison that one should be worse than the other? Explained in the Siv, we know Chazal say that the three cardinal sins, the three worst sins are Gilur Arias, Shvichas Damanavodazar. When they say the worst, we don't really mean necessarily in the sense of punishment. Because the punishment for Chil Shabbos is more strict and severe than the punishment for Arias. What it really means is that there are three roots to a person's sin. One is because of a lack of faith in Hashem or in the Torah. One is as a result of lust and taiva. And one results from lack of self-control in terms of a person's own midos, his own characteristics, his lack of control over his anger. In other words, he lacks in his Ben Odom L'chavero, in his exercise of control between man and fellow man. If one wants to talk about the worst of the mitzvahs that result from lack of faith in the Muna Kfira, Avodazar represents that. If one wants to talk about Averis that result from Taiva, the representative of that is Gilur Arias. If one wants to talk about the representative worst of the mitzvahs that represent a person's lack of character traits and lack of self-control, that's Shvi Chazdomen, that's murder. In other words, all sins result from one of the above three. Either one sins as a result of a lack of faith, or because of lust and desire, or because of anger and lack of control over himself in terms of his interpersonal relationships. For that reason, a person could be Michal Shabbos, either because he lacks faith, in which case it results, it comes from the Avodazar aspect, or it's because of the fact that he has a Yetzirah or a Taiva to do something, in which case one can say that this is a, a branch off from Arias. And therefore, one can look at every Avera and look at the root cause and see in it Gilo Arias, Shvi or Avodazar. The same thing therefore occurs with theft. When a person steals something which he desires, he sees a a utensil that his friend has, he sees a fancy car, he wants the car, one can say that the reason why he's stealing is he's stealing because he desires it, he lusts for it, he yearns for it. That would be called arias. But a person that makes false weights, this is not lust and tithe that's driving him. Those few cents that he's going to make, the few ounces here and there that he's going to make, it's not lust and tithe for those few extra pennies that's driving him. It doesn't come from taiva. It doesn't come from lust. Mishkolo sheker, false weights, comes from a lack of faith. As we said from Rav Moshe Feinstein earlier, it comes from a lack of faith that Hashem is going to provide him with the parnosa and his sustenance that he needs. As the Nitziv says, it's a chisor and emuna b'ashem hazon umefarnes b'hashgocha protes l'fimasa. It's a lack of faith that Hashem will provide with hashgocha protes, with divine providence for all of his needs. Therefore, it results from an avodazar. In this aspect, one could then say that the chait, the avod of Mishkolos, is worse than Giloy Arayas because this doesn't result from taiva, this results from a lack of amuna, from kfira, from avodazar. 
and chesoron and amuna, that's much worse. And as the Nitziv explains, that's the concept, the problem in terms of Amolek. Amolek comes and Amolek attacks as punishment for lack of faith. Hayesh Hashem bekirbeinu imoyin. The question that the Jews asked was, does God know what's internally inside of us? Does He care about what's inside of us? Will He take care and provide for all of our internal particular needs, all the little needs that we have? Hayesh Hashem bekirbeinu imoyin. And when they question that, and therefore the whole battle against Amalek was a battle that resulted from a lack of faith that was the punishment and it required faith. Therefore they had to fight Amalek naturally as the Nitziv explains and therefore the battle with Amalek had to be fought through natural means but with faith in Hashem as the Mishnah in Rosh Hashanah Mistaklin. That Klai Yisrael had to look heavenward and had to have faith in Hashem, and only then were they successful in the war of Amalek. Amalek had to be fought naturally, through natural means, but with the Muna and Bitochen. That's the difficulty of that task. So we now have a second shot as to why Eilah Hamishpatim has to have Sinai echoing in the background. Because Eilah Hamishpatim deal with the monetary laws, it deals with the laws of Losachmod and Losachmod strikes at the heart of Emunas Yisrael and lack of faith in Hashem results in the Losachmod. It emanates from Kfira, as Rav Moshe says and as the Nitziv says over here. This then is a second pshat in why you have to have the Koylois of Rokim of Har Sinai in the background of the Elah HaMishpotim because it deals with Losachmod as the Ramban and the Sephora say over here. I'd like to now take a third approach as to why it was that Parshish Mishpatim has to be given with a backdrop, with a background of the Koilis of Rokim of Har Sinai. Why specifically Parshish Mishpatim? This will be a somewhat of a different approach than what we've been saying till now that it relates to Los Achmed. Rashi continues and says, Lomo Nismach Parshish Dinin Leparshish Mizbeach Loimar Loch Shetosim Sanhedrin Eitzal Migdosh. The reason why Mishpatim is given right after the discussion of the Mizbeach is to tell you that the Sanhedrin belongs in the Beis HaMikdash. We know that the headquarters of the Sanhedrin was in the Lishkas HaGozes, which was in the Beis HaMikdash. Continues Rashi later on, You're not supposed to go to Goyesh courts. Even if you know that Goyim have certain laws and codes that are in accordance with Jewish law, still you shouldn't go to Goyesh courts, you have to go Davka to Jewish courts. al bar don't go to Goyesh courts, says Rashi, because by doing that, that's a Chil Hashem. I'd like to point out an interesting contrast. We find Parshish Mishpatim is juxtaposed and placed right in the middle of two segments in the Torah, that discuss Kabbalah's HaTorah, Har Sinai. We have in Parshas Yisro, we have the Aseris HaDibrois, we have the Koil Yisuv Rokim, we have the Koil Shoifer in Parshas Yisro. Then all of a sudden we're taking a kind of a break, the Eilah HaMishpotim, where we discuss the laws of Mishpotim, laws of Nezikin, and all of these things. And then, at the end of Parshas Mishpotim, it resumes again the narrative of Kabbalah's HaTorah at Har Sinai, with the Nasev and Ishma, with the whole Kabbalah Satorah of Nasev and Ishma. 
So what we have in effect is that in Torah we find the Parsha of Nezikin is placed smack in the middle of Har Sinai, smack in the middle of the story, the narrative of Kabbalah's HaTorah and Har Sinai before and after. It's interesting that in Torah Shabbat we find just the opposite. We find that right in the middle of Seder Nezikin, there's Mesechtas Ovis, and Mesechtas Ovos starts off with Moshe Kibil Torah Misinai. So it's interesting, it's an interesting contrast. Then in Torah Shabbat we have Nezikin placed in the middle of the, of the narrative of Har Sinai, and in Torah Shabbat we have Moshe Kibil Torah Misinai placed right in the middle of Seder Nezikin. The question one can ask, is why Taka is the is the history of the of the Messiah of Torah Shabbat of the tradition placed in the middle of Seder Nezikin? If anything, it should either be placed in the beginning of Seder Nezikin, or more appropriately, Rabbi Yudah Anosi should have placed it in the beginning of Seder Brachas, in the beginning of Seder Zroim, in the beginning of Mesechtas Brachas. It should have said by way of introduction to what Torah Shabbat is that Moshe Kibbutz Torah Misinayu Mesorah Yeshua. Etc. Etc. Why in the middle of Seder Nezikin, in the beginning of Pirkei Avos, does it tell us Moshe Kibel Torah Misinai, and it tells us the chain and the link of Misairim? Says the Bar Tanura to answer this question. Since the purpose of Mesechtas Avos is not founded upon an explanation of any of the Tariag Mitzvahs in the Torah which is generally what the Mishnayis are. Mishnayis are really the Torah Shabbat explanations and traditions of how to fulfill and how to perform the Tayag Mitzvahs. And that's what the other Mesechtas are in the Mishnayis. Elokula Musarim Umidois. All of Mesechtas Ovis is based on ethics and human character traits and explanations of those things. We know that Chachme Umus Oil Gamkein Chibus form Kmoshabodun we know that in the area of ethics and of ethical behavior, the Goyim also had produced other swarm. They also wrote swarm based on what they presumed to be the proper midos, bedarke amusr, in terms of ethical conduct. The Fikoch, for that reason, the Tana felt that it was important, Rebuda Nasi felt it was important to begin this Mesechta with the words, Moshe Kibel Torah Misinai. In order to tell you, that the Midos and all of the laws of Musr and all of the ethical conduct and Musr and morals that are contained in this Mesechta, were not invented by the sages of the Mishnah out of their own. They didn't create it out of whole cloth. It wasn't invented. They had a tradition on these ethics and on these character traits and lessons and moral lessons that stretch back all the way to Har Sinai. So what we have over here is we have Moshe Kibel Torah Misinai in the middle of Seder Nezikin to tell you really in effect that everything, all of a person's behavior, all morals and all ethical behavior and all Musr and Midos Taivas that that the Chachmei Mishnah write down are not inventions that they themselves came up with, but rather it came with a tradition that extends back to Har Sinai 
and the sounds of Har Sinai are referring to this as well. In other words, all of Jewish behavior, even what we now refer to as Der Cher, it's the way of the world, that comes from Chazal is Torah and is Torah Misinai, unlike the Der Cheretz and the ethical behavior that's learned from the other nations of the world. Jewish ethics is not just the equivalent of Chinese fortune cookie. We find in Pasha's Yisrael, it says, Vayimimocharos, that Yisrael, when he came to uh, visit the Jewish people, he sees how Moshe was judging them and how they were standing over him. And he asks him, What are you doing exactly with them? Why are they all waiting and standing for you? All these people are waiting in line, day and night. Moshe responds, The people come to me to seek God. What does that mean? When they have some sort of a, uh, an issue, some sort of an altercation, some sort of, a, uh, of an argument amongst themselves, of a monetary nature, when I have to judge them, I have to adjudicate their problems, I have to make known to them the chukim of God and His Torahs. What Moish is telling Yisrael, is that there's a profound difference between Jewish judgment and Goyesha judgment. Goyesha judgment is there to maintain the social contract, to bring peace and harmony amongst mankind in order that people should live in peace. Jewish law, Jewish judgment, even the Mishpatim, is Lidra Shalokim. It's a way of seeking God and coming close to God. It's a religious duty. The Vishafarati Bein Ishu Bein Reyehu is not merely an area of Mishpatim and judgments. It's Vahidati as Chukei I have to make known to them the chukim of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Jewish law is not merely dinim. Jewish law is chukim as well. Within each din, there is a core of chayk. Says the Nitziv, Kolal mitzvah Hashem shebetairah, Klal mitzvah Hashem shebetairah nikru chukim. All of the mitzvahs in the Torah are called chukim. And that's why it says, In b'chukai saiteilechu. The Korah Moishikan, Klal mitzvah Hashem chukim, Moshe referred to all of the mitzvahs of Hashem, even the mishpat, even the dinim. He referred to them as chukim. In other words, Moshe told Yisrael precisely this lesson, that the mitzvahs of Hashem are chukim. Lahaz muzel Yisrael, why? To explain to Yisrael. Ki nas Because he's saying, I'm not coming to them to answer their questions because I'm a great chokhm. I'm just their conduit and their way of reaching to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's what Moshe was telling Yisrael. Yisrael was asking Moshe, why are you the only one in charge of, of answering all of their questions? Is it because you're the wisest? Is it because Moshe Rabbeinu was the Chochem amongst all of Klal Yisrael? Moshe Rabbeinu says, no, the reason why they all come to me is They come to me to seek Hashem. Because I'm the conduit, I'm the pipeline by which they, by which they learn the Rots and Hashem. That's why I have to be the one to answer them. So that's what Moshe tells Yisrael. What I'm telling them now is not merely Mishpatim, it's Chukim. What does it say when the Jews encamped at Mora, the very first encampment after Yitzhak Mitzrayim, after Kriyas Yamsuf, Shom Somloi Choyku Mishpat. He gave them their Choyk and Mishpat. Choyk precedes the word Mishpat. What is Choyku Mishpat? So Rashi over there says that he gave them Shabbos and Poraduma and Dinin. Those three things is what Rashi says. The Gemara in Sanhedrin and the Daphne Vavim Beis says it a little bit differently, and the Mechilta also. 
the Rashi in Parshas Mishpatim Taka repeats this again over there when it says that by in Perakov Dalad, Pasuk Gimel, it says when Moshe came down, he told them to call on Mishpatim. What Mishpatim did they learn till now? Referring to the Sheva Mitzvahs B'nai Noach, Shabbos, Kibud Ave'em, and Por Aduma, and Dinin, Shenitlu and Bemora. So Rashi changes it a little bit over there, but the point is that Kibud Ave'em, Por Aduma, Shabbos, and Dinin is what's referring to Admora that he gave them Choyk u Mishpat, and Choyk precedes Mishpat. Therefore, there's a little bit of an element of Por Aduma even in the Dinin. He gave them Por Aduma v'Dinin, Choyk u Mishpat. Even in the Mishpat, there's a little bit of choik. As the Nitzit explains, even the logical mitzvahs, still, they still contain elements of choik and gzair in them. And therefore he says, even mitzvahs like kibud which is considered one of the logical mitzvahs, that's also considered to be a choik and a gzair. Therefore, Moshe himself had to be the one to teach Klai Yisrael because he was the conduit and therefore he was the means which Klai Yisrael was able to get to the Dvar Hashem. Because it had to come from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's Teiras Hashem. It's not Seichel Anoishi. Therefore, Moshe Kibbal Torah Misinai applies even to those aspects of the Torah that we consider Seichel Anoishi still contained within them an element of Choyk. Underneath the Mishpat, there lies a core of Chayk. For that reason, the Torah, when it refers to the entire body of the Torah, whether that Klai should keep the Torah, doesn't say keep the Torah, keep the mitzvahs, keep the Mishpatim. In if you follow the Chukim of Hashem, for a Jew to be a God-fearing Jew that he keeps the Torah, everything has to be incorporated within the concept, within the confines of Chayk. Even Mishpat, refers to everything. Because even in Mishpat, there is a chayk. For that reason, what becomes the symbol and the paradigm of all of the mitzvahs? Zois chukas hatayr, por aduma. Por aduma, which is considered the most chayk of all the mitzvahs, the most illogical of all the mitzvahs. It's considered the model of all the chukim. We refer to it in the introduction. The Torah refers to it as zois chukas hatayr. This is the chayk of the entire Torah. As if to say... There's a little bit of Pora Aduma which is contained in all the mitzvahs. Even in the Mishpatim, there's still a little bit of Zeis Chukasatayra. Even in Mishpat, there's, sh- there's Shom Som Loi Chayku Mishpat. Even in the Mishpat, there's a little bit of a Pora Aduma. Therefore, says the Orachaim in Parashas Chukas, he says the reason why it refers to Pora Aduma by Zeis Chukasatayra is to tell you that if you fulfill the mitzvah, of Pora Duma, which is total chayk, the Torah considers as if you kept the entire Torah. Because it shows that you're keeping the Torah as chayk. And, and underneath every single mitzvah in the Torah, the entire Torah contains an element of chayk. There's a little bit of this Pora Duma that's in all of the mitzvahs. With this we can answer the question that we find, as the Medrash says, who went to all the nations of the world to offer them the Torah before he went to Klal Yisrael, and they each declined. They all said, Mark Sivbei, what's written in the Torah, and Hashem told them um, that there's prohibition against adultery, against murder, theft, these things. And each and every one of them refused for a variety of reasons, saying that it's against their nature, it's not, uh, it's not for them, it's based on their, on their traditions and on what they got from their forebears, 
this is not in keeping with their, with their makeup. The question, of course, is that if the nations of the world asked Hashem what's in the Torah, Mark Sivbei, how come Hashem responds by telling them the things which they're obligated anyway? They're obligated in the Sheva Mitzvah Bnei Noach, that they had to keep from all of eternity. They always had to keep the Sheva Mitzvah Bnei Noach. When they're asking what is new in the Torah that they have to accept, and Hashem just repeats to them that which they're obligated anyway, that seems to be an inappropriate response. He should have told them what's in the Torah in addition to the Sheva Mitzvah Bnei Noach. Secondly, of course, what gives them the right? How could they actually refuse? What audacity do they have to tell HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Well, it's against our nature, so we can't keep that mitzvah, so we can't accept the Torah. They have to keep it anyway. It's part of the Sheva Mitzvah Bnei Noach. What gives them the right to The answer, I believe, is that they all understood that the Sheva Mitzvah Bnei Noach are necessary, as we said earlier, to maintain civilization, to maintain what we refer to as a social contract, to maintain peace and harmony and civilized behavior amongst mankind. They understood the Shiva Mitzvah Bnei Noach were necessary for that. What they didn't like was the fact that it should come to them packaged as Torah. To come to them packaged as Torah means that they have to keep it as Chok. It means that each mitzvah contains an element of Chok and it's not merely what appeals to them and makes sense to them, but it has to be based on what HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells them is the correct behavior. Even in the logical mitzvahs. Even the logical mitzvahs have to be packaged in the guise of Torah and kept in the guise of Torah. This is what they refused. They refused to take the Shiva Mitzvah B'nai Noach in the guise of Torah by saying that it's against their nature. In other words, they wanted to be the final arbiters of morality. They wanted to be the ones to determine as to how to apply laws of murder. For example, is euthanasia murder? Is mercy killing murder? Is abortion murder? How does one define murder? How does one define theft? How does one define certain aspects of adultery? They wanted to be the final arbiters of morality. They didn't want it to come from Hashem. They refused the chok factor that is in Torah. So what they refused was the chok that's in the mishpat. Even though these are all logical. Even though not only are they logical, but they're obligatory on all of mankind. Shiv mitzvah they know they have to keep. But to keep it the way a Jew has to keep it, to keep it with the poor Aduma that's the most logical of mitzvahs, that they didn't want to accept. As Chazal say, poor Aduma is one of the mitzvahs by Umaysalam, that the Umaysalam complain and make fun and they mock and they deride Klali Sol for taking. In other words, the Goyim make fun of the fact that the Jews accept Chok. Poor Aduma is the paradigm of Chok. Poor Aduma is the ultimate the epitome of Chok, but there's Chok in all mitzvahs. And what Hashem is showing is the contrast. Hashem offers them logical mitzvahs with the element of Chok beneath it. They don't want to accept that. because The Goyim are unwilling to subjugate themselves at all. They're unwilling to accept even the minutest amount of Chok. Even in the most logical of mitzvahs, they want to keep it totally within the bounds of, and bounds of their reason, and they don't want to accept any kind of bond to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, any kind of aspect of Torah. They refuse to accept Torah at all. Torah they refuse. Torah to the point of even in the Shiv Mitzvah Bnei Noyach, they refuse to accept it as Torah. They refuse to accept any aspect of Chok. Because Torah requires an acceptance of Chok. Kabolas HaTorah, the acceptance of the Torah, means Zois Chukas HaTorah. When a Jew accepts Torah, he's accepting Zois Chukas HaTorah. In Bechukai Saitei Leichu. 
That's what it means to be Mekabal Torah. Goyim refused Torah. They refused, and Hashem was showing this contrast. He offers them the Shiva Mitzvah was they're obligated anyway. Even that, they refused to accept the Torah and to accept it as Torah. Klal Yisrael, on the other hand, by saying Nasa Vinishma, where they accept the Nasa before the Nishma, where they accept it even to the point of where it's not logical, as the Gemara and Shabbos Tafpeches says, that the Goyim were saying to the Eden that the Amopchitziza, you're a hasty nation, that you accept before you even hear, before you even understand. And to this the Gemara says, Klal Yisrael is Tumas Yishorim Tanchem. Zois Chukas We accept even the Poraduma, that's Poraduma by itself. Certainly we accept the Poraduma that's contained in every one of the mitzvahs. The Goyim, the Goyim mock the Jews for Poraduma, and they refuse to accept upon themselves any aspect of Poraduma, even in the logical. Klal Yisrael, by saying Kabolas HaTorah with Nasev and Ishma, they showed a recognition that Torah is min HaShemayim, the Torah comes from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and it's a direct link and bond with Hashem. That's the power of the Malochim. L'maylo min above human reason, as the, as the Bartanur says, and as the Nitziv says, by us, it's Lidro Shasol Al-Kim. We seek HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We seek to come close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's L'maylo min HaSeichel. L'maylo min HaSeichel Anoishi. That's the level of the Malochim. Mi Gilo Lavonai Rozeh, who revealed the secret of the angels, and that's what the Goyim tried to mock. They tried to mock the angelic acceptance of Klal Yisrael, the angel-like nature that's in Klal Yisrael, that's in the Nasev and Ishma, that's the Porah Aduma. It's the two Gemaras are the same thing. The same way that the Gemara tells us on Shabbos Dav Peches how the, how the Goyim are mocking Klal Yisrael for saying Nasev before Nishma. They're in effect mocking and they're mocking Klal Yisrael for their acceptance of Porah Aduma as Chazal tell us that they mock us for Poraduma, which is which defies logic. That's the Yisoyed of Nasev and Nishma, that's the Yisoyed of Poraduma, it's the same thing. Zois Chukas HaTayra, because that's what Tayra is. Tayra is Chayk. The Gemara and Kedushin, in his discussion of the Mitzvah of Kibud Ave'im, quotes the Postic from Tilm Kuf Lamedches, Yoducha Hashem Komalchei Oretz, Hishamu Imre Ficha. That all the nations will acknowledge HaKadosh Baruch Hu when they, hear, when they hear of the statements, of the sayings of his mouth, referring to the Aser Sadibris. And the Gemara refers, that this, the Gemara says rather, that this Pasuk refers to the mitzvah of Kabir Sabicha Basimecha. When the nations of the world hear the mitzvah of Kabir Sabicha Basimecha, Chazru that's when they acknowledge HaKadosh Baruch Hu and give praise to him. The Gemara then continues, Ad Heichon to what extent, to what extreme does one have to go to fulfill the mitzvah kibbutz Ave'im? The Gemara says, take a look at the story of this Nanju Doma ben Nesina, who when the Chachom wanted to come to buy stones for the ephod, and they were going to give him a great sum of money for that, he didn't want to wake up his father, the pillow was under his father's pillow, who was sleeping on it, they didn't want to wake him up. The Shona Acheres, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to reward him for this great, degree of kibbutz Aveim that he didn't want to awaken his father and cause him any tsar and anguish in awakening him HaKadosh Baruch Hu rewards him that in the next year his flock gives birth to uh, his cattle gives birth to a poor Aduma and 
the Chachom came to him because they, they needed the Poraduma, and of course the Poraduma was invaluable, he could have asked for any sum of money. The Gemara says, take a look, a person who is not commanded to do a mitzvah, Allah has come we who are commanded to do the mitzvah, because we know that a person who is commanded to do a mitzvah is on a higher level than one who is not commanded. What is this Gemara telling us? I believe the Gemara is telling us, based on what we've said earlier, even Kibudav Aim, which seems to be the most logical of mitzvahs, it's the one Yoducha called It's the one that the nations of the world acknowledge and they see a morality in the mitzvah of Kibudav Aim. But the Gemara says, to what extent does a Jew have the obligation of fulfilling it? In other words, what is the chok factor? What is the chok factor in Kibudav Aim? As logical as it is, as acknowledged by all as it is, how far does a Jew have to go? And the Gemara goes on and tells us different halachas to what extent, even to the extent of when you're mocked and derided by your parents, you still can't shame them, you still can't answer back in an angry way, and you have to take their abuse. The point is that Kibbut Ave'em goes to illogical extents. The Torah's demand of the mitzvah of Kibbut Ave'em goes to extremes that defy logic. In other words, there's chok even in the Kibbut Ave'em, which is acknowledged by all the nations of the world, even there, there lies an element of chok, of something which has to be man's subjugation to the will of God, as told to us at Har Sinai. Kibbut Ave'em, like all the Aseris Hadibris, Shom Som Loi Choyk Umishpat, there's an element of chok there. That's why Doma ben Nesina was rewarded with a por aduma, because he showed us to the extent of the mitzvah kibudav aim that even kibudav aim contains a por aduma factor in it. Every mitzvah in the Torah, zoyis chukas hatayra. What is that por aduma? That's the model and the paradigm, the epitome of chok. And every mitzvah contains within it a little bit of that shom, som, loy choyk u mishpot. Every mishpot contains the element of choyk. Even Kibbut Aveim has a little bit of por adum in it. For that reason, Doma ben Nesina, who kept the mitzvah of Kibbut Aveim, although not commanded, to the degree of por aduma, was therefore rewarded by por adum, as if to say, you are now a master of the por aduma. You have fulfilled the mitzvah to the nth degree. You have fulfilled the mitzvah to the degree of por aduma. You are a master of a poraduma. You deserve to have a poraduma as an indication that you have mastered the fulfillment of mitzvahs to the extent of poraduma. You're a baal poraduma. The Torah in Pashas Vuaschanan tells us, Raki Shomer Lachosh Ronav Shachom Oid, Pentishkach Sadvor Moela, Sharoi Necho, Fenyasur Milvoko, Koyimei Chayecha, Vodatem Levonecho, Vnevonecho, Yoma Sharamarto, Fnyashem Alakacho Mechorev. The Ramban understands this to be a separate mitzvah tayag from the tayag mitzvahs that not only is there a mitzvah of chinuch bonim that we have to teach and train our children and teach them the Torah this is a bazunder mitzvah, a separate mitzvah that tells us that there's a mitzvah of chinuch where we have to teach our children from whence the Torah comes and how it came that it came with a maimed har sinai in other words not only is there a mitzvah to teach our children the mitzvahs but we're also obligated to inform them of how we accepted and how we received the Torah namely there's a mitzvah to tell them about Maimed Har Sinai, to tell them how we received the Torah that it was a Nasa Nishma, a Nasa Kodem Nishma, not the way the Goyim do it, but that it was done from Har Sinai. And as, and as the Bartanura tells us, Moshe Kibil Torah Misinai, the things that we perform, the things that we keep, there's a Chok factor to it all. We received it at Har Sinai. That's part of Chinuch. 
part of Chinuch is not only teaching our children the Torah, but teaching them what Torah means, what the essence of Torah is. Choyk before Mishpat. Contrary to the way of Yisro. We know, as Rabbi Chaim Shmulevit says, that Yisro, that Moshe made a deal with Yisro, that he wanted his first grandchild, Gershom, to be brought up in the, in the seminaries of Avodah Zarah. And Rabbi Chaim Shmulevit explains why is that. After all, if Yisro himself went through so much self-sacrifice to become a monotheist, why did he want his grandchild brought up otherwise? Is because Yisrael wanted his grandchild to go through the same searching process and the same exposure so he should come to a fulfillment uh, uh, internally where he appreciates what monotheism is. That's not the Yiddish way. That's the Yisrael way. That's the Goyish way of Nishma before the Nasa. That's the Vayishma Yisrael. We believe in Nasa before the Nishma. For that reason, we have a mitzvah of Maim and Har Sinai. We have a mitzvah to remember and to recall and to recount and to teach and to transmit Maimed Har Sinai. Not only the laws of Sinai, but the Maimed Har Sinai itself. So we bring over and we give over to our children more than merely the actual mitzvahs themselves and the tires themselves, but how the tires came about and from where they came and how we accepted it. Maimed Har Sinai. The Gemara in Shabbos Dav Peiches that says, a baskol emanates saying, Mi gila lebonai roz zesh malachi ashores, who revealed the secret of Nasev and Nishma to Klal Yisrael. It's a good question. Who taka revealed the secret of the Malachim to speak like an angel to, to precede Nasa before Nishma? I believe the answer to that is that we learned it from our forefathers. We learned it from Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu, by Akedas Yitzchak, came to the Madrega that although Avram was called Oyhavi, Hashem refers to Avram the Novi says as Avram Oyhavi. Nevertheless, in the culmination of Avram's Nisyonos, he came to the Madrega of of Ato Yadati Ki a God-fearing person. What does that mean? That although Avram Avinu loved Hakadosh Baruch Hu, although Avram was considered a chacham that he understood on his own the concepts of monotheism, but Avram finally understood this concept as well: that Rashi's chachma is Yiras Hashem, the beginning of all wisdom, and more than the beginning of wisdom, the head of all wisdom. Reish's Chochmah means more than just the beginning of wisdom. It's the head, the crowning achievement of all wisdom is Yiras Hashem. The culmination of Avram's career is Ato Yodati Ki The achievement, therefore, of Akedas Yitzchok was the pinnacle of Avram's Nesiyonis because Akedas Yitzchok required a subjugation of mind. It required a Nasa Venishma mentality to accept the concept of Chok. He had to be mishabed his mind, he had to subjugate his mind and accept upon himself chok. This became the root of Nasev and Ishma. As Chaim Velozhner tells us in Ruach Haim, Avram is called Avram Avinu because all of his characteristics became entrenched in Klal Yisrael. For Avram Avinu to be able to understand Akedas Yitzchok and do it and fulfill it without question, that is the entrenchment of chok in Klal Yisrael the fact that Avram Avinu now incorporates this into Klal Yisrael, that's where we learned the lesson of Nasa Venishma. We learned it from Avram Avinu by Akedas Yitzchok. This then becomes Chochmas Yisrael. When they see how Klal Yisrael accepts the concept of Chok, this Nishma, 
the nishma that results after the nasa is a higher level than the vayishma yisro. It's a higher chokhmah than the vayishma yisro. It's a nasa v'nishma of the malachim. It's a nasa v'nishma of reishis chokhmah. The crowning achievement of all chokhmah is this year. That's chokhmah yisroel. Tiku b'chaydes shayfer b'kesel yobchagenu ki choykel yisroel hu mishpat leilok Yaakov. The ultimate aspect of the shayfer and why it works is because shayfer is a choyk. It's a mishpat leilok Yaakov. It's a choykel yisroel. As the Baal Shem explains, the cry of the shayfer is the cry of the child that cries to his father from the depths of his heart that I need you, I yearn for you. That's the cry in the heart of every Yid. In the Shoirish and the Shama, at the root of every Jewish soul, is the That's the piercing cry of the Shoifer. That's where Nasa Venishma emanates from. That came from Avroma Vino. This then becomes the foundation of Nasa Venishma, the secret of the angels. What is an angel? An angel is this. An angel has no other desire than the desire to do what Hashem wants. That's what an angel is. They only have one Ratzon, the Ratzon, the will to do HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Likewise, every Jew in the Shoyush Nishmasai, every Jew at the root of his soul is an angel, has this, this ability, this quality of Ritzayneinu Lasech Ritzaynecha. That's the ability of saying Nasa before Nishma. That's the Kabbalah of Choyk of the Torah, the acceptance of the Choyk which is in the Torah. That's the Koyal Shoifer, the cry of the child to his father. As it says in the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah, the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah of says, Shoifer is Kibifnim Dami. Even though Shoifer is done not in the Kod Kadoshim, but Shoifer is counted like an avoided that's Lefnail Lefnim. Shoifer is Kibifnim Dami because it goes to the heart. It comes from the heart. It emanates from the soul of the Jew, from the Shorish Neshem of a Jew. That's Choyk Yisroeli. Tiku b'Choy the Shoifer ki Choyk Yisroelu. This is the Choyk that's in the soul and heart of every Jew. Therefore, the Shoifer represents the heart of a Jew. That's Kibifnim Dami. Migil Rozel Bonai. The answer then is that it comes to us be Yerusha from Avromovino. It becomes part of the nature and the psyche of Klal Yisroel. Perhaps Chazal indicate this by their statement that the Shoifer of Har Sinai and the Shoifer of Mashiach really came from the Isle of Avram Avinu. Chazal say that nothing that Avram Avinu used by the Isle, by Akedah Sitzchot, went to waste. The sinews became used for the strands of David HaMelech's harp. The Shoifer, the left side, was used by Har Sinai the right side is going to be used that's going to redeem Klal Yisrael. What Chazal were telling us was not a lesson in conservation. It wasn't a lesson of ecology. Rather, it's one of spiritual conservation and spiritual ecology. Saying that nothing went to waste really in effect tells us that from the shoifer of Akedas Yitzchok already comes to us the shoifer of Har Sinai. What is the Shoifer of Har Sinai? The Shoifer of Har Sinai represents the Nasa Venishma of Klal Yisrael and how HaKadosh Baruch reciprocates. Ki Choyk Yisrael Hu Tiku Ba'chaydeh Shoifer Ki Choyk Yisrael Hu Nishpot Leilokei Yaakov What is Choyk to Klal Yisrael? 
Chayk to Klal Yisrael is the willingness to accept the Torah, the Chayk that's in Torah, and that we accept it unconditionally, Nasev and Nishma, and that we totally subjugate ourselves with Tzayneinu Lasses, with Tzayneinu What is the Chayk of HaKadosh Baruch Hu? The Chayk of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is from the word Chakika, where it's engraved, it's net Nitzchiyas, it's forever. Torah is forever, Klal Yisrael is forever. What was the reward that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave Avraham Avinu by Akedas Yitzchak? HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Binishbati nu Mashem, Yanashar Sisa Sadovrazeh, and says the Ramban, what does it mean, Binishbati nu Mashem? In other words, he's giving the same promises that Klal Yisrael was promised before, that Hashem promised Avraham Avinu before, but now it's it's introduced with Binishbati nu Mashem, it's a Shvua, it's an oath that Hashem says must take place. It, it assures Klal Yisrael's continuity and it assures us our kaporas, our vainus, that no hate will ever cause Klal Yisrael to be totally destroyed. What does a shoifer on Rosh Hashanah represent? Ki It promises us that no matter what, Hashem will always forgive our sins. Jews are never beyond the pale, never beyond hope. They always have a hope for tshuva and ultimately they always have a hope for gula. That's what all of these shoifers represent. The shoifer of Akedas Yitzchok now becomes back to us in the shoifer of Har Sinai. The shoifer of Har Sinai represents the eternity of Torah and the eternity of the bond of Klal Yisrael to Torah and Hashem to Klal Yisrael through the Torah. Because as Chazal tell us, in response to Klal Yisrael's Nasev and Nishma, in response to Klal Yisrael's acceptance of the concept of Chok, from, from Klai Yisrael's perspective, which is the acceptance of Nasev and Nishma, HaKadosh Baruch Hu reciprocates with a Kofol and HaKigigis, which the Sif Sechachom explains means that by forcing Klai Yisrael to accept the Torah, it has a din of Lo Yuchal, L'Shalcho Kol Yomav, that Hashem can never send us away. It's like a forced marriage where He must keep us for all of eternity. That's the way Hashem responds and reciprocates with the Kol Shoifer of Har Sinai to the Nasev and Nishma of Klal Yisrael, which represents the Koyl Bechia that's in the heart of the Jew, that's the Malach that comes from Avram Avinu. So Chazal tell us, who revealed the secret? The secret comes to us by Yerusha from Avram Avinu because the Shoifer of Avram Avinu is the Shoifer that reverberates at Har Sinai and that becomes the Shoifer of the Gu'ula Asida of the final redemption of the where Hashem promises us a redemption as the Ramban says at the end of Parshas Vayera the Hashem is the greatest pledge that Hashem gives us that He guarantees us the eternity of Klal Yisrael therefore the Shoifer represents the, the Chairus and the Chorus because the word Chakika and Choik and Chakika and Chorus and Chairus are all related Therefore, the shofar becomes the symbol of the cherus of, of an evet going free. It becomes the symbol of yovel. It becomes the symbol of the neshama being freed and the eternity and the freedom of the soul. The shofar of Akedas Yitzchak and the shofar of Har Sinai are one and the same. The shofar that Hashem blasts when we receive the Torah and scared Klal Yisrael and the Nasev and Nishma that Klal Yisrael responded with are one and the same. The Kofalein Har Kegigis was really the reward 
of the Nasev and Nishma rather than a question of the inconsistency between Nasev and Nishma and Kofalein Hakayigis. It's not inconsistent at all. It's exactly the same thing. One is Mitzad Klal Yisrael, one is Mitzad Hashem. That's what guarantees our eternity. Now we have the answer of why Parshas Mishpatim has to have Koylo Subrokim in the background. In order to teach us this lesson, that even the Elam Mishpatim, Hashem the Jewish Mishpat has an underlying Chayk, Jewish Mishpat contains an internal core of Chayk. And therefore you need the Koylo Shoifer in the background to indicate this. Elam Mishpatim, Hashem because as Rashi tells us, the Sanhedrin has to be an Har Moria, has to be on the Mokam Akeda, the Mokam Akeda's Yitzchak, where the Shoifer was originally offered, because Klal Yisrael's Mishpot and Klal Yisrael's Dinim are also Avaidus Hashem, just like the Beis HaMikdash. And that's why we're not allowed to take our, our court cases to Gaisha courts. Ela because Jewish law is different than Goyish law. It's Lidrosh Asalokim, it's Choyku Mishpot, it's Chukei Elokim, that, like Moshe Rabbeinu tells you, so I'm informing them of the Chukei Elokim. We now have a third shot as to why it was necessary to have Har Sinai reverberating in the background of the Parsha Mishpotim. The Ela Mishpotim, says Rashi. What does that mean? That means like the Bartanur says that even their cheretz, even the midos, even ovos comes from Moshe Kibel Torah Misinai. It's important to tell us that these mishpatim also have the kol shoifer in the background. What is the kol shoifer? The kol shoifer is the nasa v'nishma. It's the chok factor. It's where Moshe tells Yisroel, because Jewish law is not just mishpat, it's lidro shalokim. What is v'shafarati b'in ishu b'in re'ehu? It's not only mishpat, it's v'hoidati as chukeyu alokim that all of Mishpat has an underlying chayk. Zois chukas hatayra is contained in every Mishpat. Even kibud Aim contains pora aduma. The elam Mishpatim asher tosimuf name has to have the background noise of Maimon Har Sinai as the mitzvah of as the Ramban explains. We have to teach Maimon Har Sinai. We have to teach that there was a kol shayfer in the background of the Mishpat of Har Sinai in the background of the Mishpatim 